I remember I was in middle school, and um, let's go ahead and be seated. My grandmother had, <clears throat> had just passed away, and uh, I, I vividly remember driving down main highway in our town, US-1, on the way from the funeral home to the burial side. And uh, we're driving down the road, and I was, I was pretty young. I wasn't a believer yet. But I remember thinking, as I watched everyone else go about their business, that something just seemed wrong with that. Cars were driving by. People were pulling in and out of drive throughs at fast food places. Kids were playing in a park. And I'm sitting there in the backseat of uh, my parents' Oldsmobile, going down the road as a kid thinking, there's something wrong here. Shouldn't they, shouldn't they all stop? Don't they know that my grandmother is gone? Um, I was going through Winder the other day, and a funeral about 14 miles long came through. And everybody pulled over. I hadn't seen that in a long time. Uh, back in the day, you'd pull over when people with their headlights would come by because uh, you wanted to show respect to their loss. You wanted to, in a sense, show that your world is stopping because their world is stopped. So this morning, uh, let's just stop our world for a minute. It, it would be inappropriate, I think, if we were just to press on and go about our day when uh, there is a part of our world, albeit half a world away, that is uh, come to a complete stop. Amen? So pray with me. Father God, we, we give... We give this moment to say that we give a greater part of our heart to our friends halfway around the world who have suffered great tragedy. And there are a lot of questions and there are a lot of people uh, in, in pain, not just physically, but emotionally right now. Still searching for loved ones. Uh, know that they have lost loved ones. And just wondering what, what happened, why. And many, uh, as I would imagine, ought happen, Father, are looking to the heavens. Some crying out in despair and others shaking a fist in your face. And so, Lord, um, we do at the moment uh, the only thing we can. We pray for their spirits that those who are left in the wake of this tragedy that even if they are shaking their fists for the moment that they would fall into your arms Father that they would find peace somehow, some way in you that they would they would know as your word says that you're not slow about your promises your promises to come back and make everything right. Your promises to come back and fix all that's wrong with our world. Your promise to come back and stop this world from spiraling out of control. Your promise to come back and, and to even take nature back under your absolute authority. You're not slow about your promise to do that. Your word also tells us that in this mean time, and sometimes, Lord, it's awful mean, 
in this meantime, you are in fact simply being patient towards us. You're waiting one more day, one more week, maybe one more year. Not desiring that any should perish in their sinfulness, but that all might come to repentance, your word says. That's the best hope I have, Father, for the, for the one that is in desperate times. The truth is, I believe, Father, that you're ready to step back into time and eternity. You're ready to make all things right. Your heart breaks in seasons like this. But you, you're being patient. You are restraining your judgment another day. And Lord, while you tarry, I ask that for those who mourn, for those who weep, that you would give peace that passes understanding. That your patience for the, for the sinner is enough for their heart today. love you and we thank you for the truth of your word it is it is our hope in a dark world in christ's name amen amen well second timothy let me tell you what we're doing here we are uh, we're in chapter two and in chapter one paul's told timothy that they're really not a whole lot different from each other right timothy uh your sincerity It's just like my sincerity. I've proved by my work in the gospel, in the kingdom work, that I'm sincere about my faith. You've shown the same sort of sincerity. Timothy, you're also also like me in that you have a legacy. Your grandmother and your mother, your legacy matches up to mine. Your authority lines up with mine. In fact, Paul was the one who laid hands on Timothy to grant him that authority by God. Uh, so Timothy's got a lot going for him just in the first verses of chapter one, because Paul says we're a whole lot alike. Now, that's comforting, isn't it? When a younger man hears from an older man in the faith. Listen, I see some marks in your life why you should stand bold, because that's exactly what Paul's now going to ask him to do. Here is the reason you can do what I'm going to ask you to do in the next verse, which is namely be bold, Timothy. Don't shy away from the work that God has called men like you and I to and the rest of his church throughout all of these days on earth. We have to be bold and there's reasons you can be bold. Your sincerity, your legacy, your authority. So be bold, Timothy, chapter one. Remember why he told him he could be bold? Chapter one, verse nine and ten, because God was bold for you. That's a good reason, isn't it? That God purposed from all eternity the salvation of humanity. And that he would finish that plan. He wouldn't just leave that plan to chance, but he would complete that plan. And Timothy could rest on that fact that God took a bullet for you. You be bold. God was bold on your behalf in the plan of salvation. So... You can trust in God's power. Remember verse 12. For this reason also I suffer these things. For I know whom I have believed and am convinced. He's able. He's able to guard what I've entrusted to him. If we're going to do God's business, he's able to take care of us, Timothy. 
from all of eternity. He's proved faithful. And even in today, he is faithful for those who are obedient. God will remain faithful. Timothy, be bold, be bold. So what did they ask him to do? Chapter one, retain the standard, retain the standard, guard the treasure which has been entrusted to you. All right. That's what I'm asking you to do, Timothy. And that's what God is asking us to do throughout the rest of the generations of the church. Retain guard. You have been given a treasure. It has been trusted to you. It has been put on deposit in your life. This gospel message, this standard, this word of truth that Paul gave his life for. that He passes the torch now to Timothy to give his life for. And he's going to call Timothy to pass that torch along. Retain the standard. Guard the treasure that has been entrusted to you. Just like me. End of chapter one. Just like me. That's why I'm willing to go to the extent I'm willing to go to. And just like Onesiphorus, you remember him? You never hear anything about him anywhere else. But just like Onesiphorus, when everybody else is cutting and running, when the pressure's on, and I got thrown in this hole, Paul says, this guy searched out and found me. He was merciful on me. And so what's Paul's heart for this man? What does he believe God's heart for this man will be? End of chapter one. God grant him and his household mercy on that day. Paul believes that men like Onesiphorus, faithful when the heat is on, will be granted mercy when they stand before God. And so you see Paul's argument here? Timothy, your life is not a whole lot unlike mine. And God has been for us from all of eternity. And I know he won't let us down. I know whom I've believed in. So you can follow my example. You can follow the example of guys like Onesiphorus. Because you've seen his faithfulness. And so chapter 2, look at what it says, verse 1. You therefore now my son. And he's going to call his own adopted son in the faith to follow in his footsteps. And remember, where is Paul? He's in a dungeon. This will be his last letter. There will be no more. He dies after this. And he's calling his beloved son to follow in his footsteps. Kind of odd, don't you think? Chapter 2, verse 2 is the command for the whole book for Timothy and for us. The things which you have heard from me then, Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses, here's what you're to do. You entrust these to faithful men, and faithful men will be able to teach them to the next generation, and on and on and on and on. This baton has to keep going. That's the charge he gives to Timothy. Guard the standard, retain it. It's been entrusted to you. Be bold about it. God has been bold for you. Entrust it to faithful men right down the line because Paul says, I don't want this to die with me here in the dungeon. It can't. And our responsibility is to make sure that that torch, that baton keeps being passed. So the command is chapter two, verse two. Keep this thing going. Make sure this message of God, this gospel of his continues on throughout the earth. That's what he died for. That's what I'll die for. If you have to die for it, by the way. You need to do that. You remember what we looked at last week? He said now after this command, Timothy, you better consider your life not your own. And here's what, it, here's what your life as a Christian ought to look like. It's going to look like being a soldier in active duty service on the front line. Meaning that if the commander, if the, if the captain, if the chief says drop everything else and follow me, you got to do that. You can't be entangled in this world to the degree that you can't drop everything and go when the captain calls. That's what Christianity 
ought to look like, Timothy. It also might look like an athlete, a professional athlete, somebody who disciplines their body, cuts everything that doesn't promote their athletic uh, increase. They cut all that off. They, they count that loss and they go hard so that they can achieve a crown. Right? An athlete runs a race to win, Paul said to the Corinthians. And so much like a professional athlete, you've got to be disciplined being a Christian. You've got to be willing to say no to some things that everybody else is saying yes to. If you want to compete at this level, spiritually speaking, you're going to have to say no to some things. You're going to have to say no to some things that everybody else is embracing. So it's kind of like being an active duty soldier, Timothy. It's also kind of like being a professional athlete, Timothy. And remember the last illustration he gave? He said, think about it like being a hard-working farmer. A farmer, sunburned neck, hands blistered, fingers caked with the mud of the ground. In season, out of season, as the crops demand, as seasons demand, you've got to do your job, and it's hard work. And for the most part, you're going to do hard work, and you're not going to see anything grow from it. You're not going to see any fruit. You've got to prep the ground. You've got to, you've got to plant the seed. You've got to water. You've got to give it light. You've got to sit and wait and give it time and still nothing until the day that God does his magic in the darkness and something sprouts out. Amen. Paul says, Timothy, I hope you get it here. That's what Christian life should look like. That active duty soldier. On the front lines, if so be it. That professional athlete that says no to everything else so that they can compete at a high level. And the hardworking farmer who will wait until God says it's time. Until God says now is the season. I didn't spend too much time in chapter 2, verse 7. He says this after giving those three illustrations. Consider what I say, Timothy. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. I didn't spend much time, but you ought to spend more time. Because what Paul understands is that those analogies so tell the story of what your life ought to look like as a Christian here and now, church, that it demands us and it, it requires the intercession of the Holy Spirit as we take the time to think out what all that might mean. Don't just take the pastor's word for it and sit through one and a half sermons on the text. You better sit on that passage. You better, you better meditate on those illustrations because God, according to Paul, has something to say to you about that. So while I didn't spend much time, you, you, better, you better find some time to, to just meditate on those words of Paul. Paul says they're worth soaking in a little deeper. Now, he gives him the command... And he gives them a glimpse of what carrying out that command is going to look like. He gave them examples. Okay. Well, he really gave them illustrations of what following out that command of being that kind of good soldier would look like. It looked like a, a soldier, an athlete, a farmer. He gave them those illustrations. When you get to chapter 2, verse 14, I'm going to jump ahead a second here. When you get to chapter 2, verse 14, and the rest of the book, he takes those illustrations and he starts to give you specific examples of all the problems that Timothy might face in the church and in the world as a Christian. But before he gets to 2.14, we, we get this passage, right? From the end of last week up to 2.14, we get chapter 2, verse 8 through 13. 
And here's what it is. After the command, chapter 2, verse 2, and before all the examples, the specific examples of how you ought suffer as a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer, after, after getting specific with the illustrations, he has this parentheses in there. In the bulletin, I put it as the title for the passage today, adding fuel to Timothy's fire. Adding fuel to Timothy's fire. Here's what we get. Command, chapter 2, verse 2. Uh, conflict, pretty much the rest of the book. You know what he's going to squeeze in here before we get to the conflict? He's going to give Timothy some comfort. Chapter 2, 8 through 13, comfort for the believer. Fuel for Timothy's fire. Earlier on, you remember what he said to Timothy? Timothy, fan that, that spark, fan that flame. Get that fire Roaring in your heart, in your spirit, for the God that has gone through all eternity for our salvation. Fan that flame. And I see chapter 2, 8 through 13, kind of like Paul just dumping some gas on it. He said, let's get this thing roaring. Now watch how he does it. Watch how he does it. Incidentally, um, some of you won't need this passage, unfortunately. Uh, Why do I say that? This passage is needed if you embrace... Paul's command to be a part of the conflict at hand. This passage is needed. If you're going to take the baton, you're going to embrace the torch that Paul and Timothy and men like them pass from generation to generation. Taking the share of your sufferings for the gospel's sake. If you're not willing. If you're not willing to take heed to Paul's instructions to become a good soldier, an athlete, and a farmer, hardworking and patient, if you're not willing to, to, to step up your game to those things, church, then the encouragement isn't, isn't for you. The encouragement here is for the guy who's willing to go to those extents. And Paul knows firsthand that if Timothy follows him down the road he's on, he knows where he'll end up, and he knows he's going to need this encouragement. So look at this comfort. Um, one more. Incidentally, before we go on, uh, this church you guys are sending me tomorrow morning, I get on a plane, I'm going to Oregon. Because there's a family who lives in Oregon now who used to live and serve here uh, in this community, an elder in this church. And uh, they, uh, you know, have attempted to be as faithful as they can, following some, trying to figure out some call into ministry, etc. And uh, life has just handed them one hardship after another, and it's just getting harder and harder and harder. And spirits uh, perhaps may be low. And uh, you said, Pastor, go. Go see them. <laughs> go see them. What, what I realized you understand is that they have shown themselves to be good soldiers, spiritually speaking, in the faith. They've shown themselves to be, to be willing to cut out other things if need be. They've been willing to make those sacrifices. And you know that they've been hard working in the faith because they've labored alongside of many of you. And as I think about that family, the Kemp family, I, I think the picture I have in my head is that they're those farmers waiting, waiting, and they've been working the ground and working the ground. And that seed is there under the dark, and they're just waiting for God to do that magic. But it's that season where you just have to wait. And very often in that, in that meantime, it gets really mean and it's harder and harder to wait. 
And very often God wants to stretch out that meantime so that he could stretch out our faith. But that doesn't make the meantime any easier. Right. And so you as a church have said, hey, go, because we don't want them to stretch to the point where they they feel like they're going to break before God can come through for them in his own timing. So go. And so I'm going in the morning. Um, That's that's the reality. I think what Paul's searching for in this. And I praise God for a church that has that kind of heart. By the way, if if you want to send a word of encouragement, whether you know the camps or not, there are cornerstone cards on the table there as you come in. You can write just a quick note, put it in an envelope, and drop it in the box, and I'll make sure to hand-deliver those myself tomorrow. Chapter 2, verse 8. Watch this. Remember Jesus Christ. Stop right there. After all that he said... He's going he's gonna to give us a few verses of comfort here. Where do you start when you need comfort, church? You remember Jesus Christ. Now, there's a whole message just right there, isn't there? The first place we go is back to Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. The one we rely on from the very beginning, the one we must rely on in the very end, but also in that whole time in the middle. Remember Jesus. One commentator said, coming off of those three illustrations, what we know as we think about Jesus is, is he was the ultimate soldier, wasn't he? Following obediently to death the orders of the captain. (laughs) Yeah, that's Jesus. God The Father, you say go, I'll go, even if it takes me to a cross. An obedient soldier, all the way to the front line, even unto death. Jesus, as we remember him, he was the ultimate soldier. He was also uh, the ultimate athlete who ran the race to the end to win. And he got a crown upon a cross, a crown of thorns, didn't he? That was his reward. He's also, the commentator said, kind of like the ultimate farmer. The one who gave his life, who invested the very blood of his life into the soil of this world so that we might reap the fruit of the benefit of his sacrifice. Isn't that good? So just remembering Jesus is the, is the best place to go for the guy who's willing to go in the footsteps of a man like Paul. Paul says, I'm going in the footsteps of a Jesus. He's my example. He is the comfort in the hard times. Fully committed. Fully committed. We can suffer, we can endure because of Jesus. Let me read you Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3. Just listen, okay? Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, that's the saints who have gone on before us in heaven. Let us also, that's you and I, lay aside every encumbrance. Sounds a lot like... Second Timothy two. Don't be entangled by the things of this world. Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on. What does he say? Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him. What was the joy set before him? It was your soul. It was my soul. That was the joy set before Jesus. Through the cross, he saw the joy of our redemption. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down now at the right hand of the throne of God. 
For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against him, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart, church. He's our ultimate inspiration. He's not asked us, Jesus has not asked us to walk a path that he hasn't already walked himself. What more, what more comfort and motivation could we need? Old hymn, one of my favorites. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. You remember these words? My richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. When we survey what Jesus has done, there really are no limits to the extent that we would be willing to go. If we see Jesus for who he is, there's no limit. His love is fuel for the fire. It's all we need. Uh, by the way, our church's purpose is this, to make and mature disciples. And then we add a little tag here that explains what a disciple is. A disciple is a man or woman or child who follows the Lord, feeds sheep, and frees the world. Now, I'd have to unpack those a little bit for you, but let me just point out one thing. The very first is that we are followers of the Lord. Why is that first? It's first because if we can help you to get that right, we don't ever have to preach the second or the third. Your place in the body of Christ, you'll figure it out. Your desire to share the gospel with the lost world, God will give that to you as you survey the wondrous cross, as you're following Christ, as your proximity to him grows nearer and nearer. Your flame will rise. Amen. He is our ultimate example. Remember Jesus Christ, but not just the man. Remember that he is risen from the dead. Point, the battle is won. You can't discourage an army who believes that it's already won the battle. More than that, you can't discourage an army who believes that it is immortal. In the sense that they, they can give their life unto death, but God will just raise them back up. Remember Jesus Christ, that he is alive and well. His motivation is encouragement and comfort to the troops in the heat of the battle because you will live. Just as Christ has lived. He's going to add more. If Christ wasn't enough, if the fact that we will be resurrected just like he was isn't enough, he just keeps adding and adding fuel to Timothy's flame. He keeps, he keeps heaping encouragement and comfort on him here. He's a descendant of David. What does that mean? I take that to mean that Paul would remind Timothy that he is who he said he was and he's done exactly what he said he's going to do from all of eternity past, which we've already heard him talk about. God has shown himself faithful. Jesus was to be a descendant of David and he's come just like he said he would. So remember Jesus alive and well, just like we were told he would be descendant of David, according to my gospel. According to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship. Paul says, because of Jesus, as I think about him, as I think about the extent that he went to, as I think about the extent of his promises, he says, I'm willing to give my life to that news, to that good news, to the point that I will suffer for it. Truth, 
I think Paul would say, is worth suffering for. Woodrow Wilson put it this way, I would rather suffer today for a cause that will ultimately succeed than succeed today for a cause that will ultimately suffer failure. Satan would uh, love for us to be successful at a whole lot of things as long as they're not the right thing. And I think he'll leave us alone to be successful at all those things. Paul's willing to go to the point where he's going to suffer hardship for this gospel. But look at the end of verse 9. Even though I would suffer and even though as he is writing from prison in a dungeon, he can say these amazing words at the end of verse 9. The word of God is not imprisoned. The word of God is not imprisoned. How strange to say that when you're at the bottom of a dungeon, when you're in a pit. What kind of comfort is that? Here's the comfort, church. What Paul understands is that no matter what comes in this life, no matter what dungeon he finds himself in, the word of God that he's called Timothy to retain the standard that has been entrusted to him as this treasure, that very same word of God, Paul actually believes that it cannot be imprisoned. Paul believes that even though he's in prison, the the plans of God from all of eternity past, the purposes of God he mentioned in chapter 1, 9 and 10 and 11, those purposes of God cannot be thwarted, church. Take comfort. God can't be stopped. Though they kill me, the message continues. I'm passing the baton to you, Timothy. They can't stop it. From generation to generation, entrust it to faithful men who will entrust it to theirs as well. It's going on. It's going to spread like a wildfire if we only remain faithful, even in hardship. God can't be stopped, church. That's the comfort in Paul's words. That's the comfort to the beloved son that he would have come behind him in his death. That even if you die, God can't be stopped. He unpacks it further. Look at verse 10. For this reason. What reason? The reason is that God can't be stopped. And so here's what I'll do. I'll endure all things for the sake of those who are what? Chosen. So that they are also. So that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. And with it, eternal glory. Can we stop? The purposes from all of eternity of God? The answer is no. What is the comfort here? The comfort here is God's overriding grace, church. What is the fuel he's adding to Timothy's flame right here? It's this overriding grace. Now watch this. The greatest comfort in all the world, and I believe uh, it is the intent of the very doctrine, is that God is... Supreme. He is, in other words, in ultimate control. He is sovereign. There is nothing that is out of his control. Paul is bound and determined because God is bound and determined to finish his eternal purpose in the salvation of humanity and those that he has chosen. He will, he will see them to eternity. And Paul says, he can't be stopped. Even though they imprison us, they can't imprison his word. And more than that, I'll go to the death. Why? 
for the sake of those who God has chosen so that they also know that you know what that word also means it's that Paul embraces that he was just like them. He was in darkness and he needs he needed light. And there are men and women out there, the chosen, beloved bride of Christ that from all of eternity, God has purposed to save through the cross of Christ that are waiting for light to be brought to them. And Paul, Paul saw his life as that light being extended into the darkness. And he said, because of God's great determination in this whole plan that he can't be stopped. I counted an honor to go to whatever extent I'll suffer. How many things? All things for who? For those also, the ones who were just like I was so that they might what attain with an A their salvation attain. No, it's been attained by Jesus Christ on the cross so that they might what? obtain what has already been done for them. You see the great comfort in that? I remember when I was in high school, shortly after I got saved, I started going out and I started sharing the gospel with as many people as I could. I was on fire, man. And, uh, man, I was getting frustrated because I would go share the gospel and people just look at me like this. And uh, I was getting rejected and nobody was, nobody was responding. And so I I ran back to the church and uh, we had this guy there. He was like this resident kind of evangelist. He was this big burly kind of dude. He always wore like this four piece suit. Uh, Is that, I don't even know if they have four piece suits, but maybe a cummerbund or something. He had it all though. And he had like these, these real pointy uh, gator skin boot things that he always wore. He was a bad dude. He had this long, like Augustus McRae uh, handlebar mustache. He was a very intimidating dude, but he was the sweetest guy I'd ever met. And he was like the evangelist in our church. He didn't, it didn't matter who you were, where you were, when it was. He would share the gospel at the drop of a hat. And I went to him. It was on Wednesday night, I still remember. And we had a little fellowship meal at the church I was going to and got saved in. And uh, I went over to him. I can still see him standing by the trash can, dumping his plate. And I said, Brother Jody, you got to help me. He said, sure. What is it? Gave me that big old handlebar grin smile. What is it? And I unloaded on him. I said, listen, I've been trying. I've been doing all this and I've been sharing the gospel and I've been telling them they're going that, that, that without Jesus they are going to hell. And I've been giving them the whole truth. I've been doing all this stuff and nothing. I can't I can't convince them. And he just smiled that big old handlebar smile. And he looked at me. He said, listen, he said, that's great. That's great. But Daryl, it's not your job to convert their soul. It's your job to give them the truth. It's God's job to do the magic in the dirt. What great comfort that is. What great comfort that Paul had knowing that the word of God will not be imprisoned. God's going to do what God is going to do. And what great privilege and joy that he has chosen to use us to reach those also who will obtain that good news to their salvation in Jesus Christ. What else do they get? Look at the verse. End of verse 10. And with it, eternal glory. God will do that. Paul believed he got to be a part of that. Church, do you believe you get to be a part of that? Are you willing to give your life for a Jesus like this who went to the extents that he went to because you're convinced that his purposes will not be thwarted? That in the end, 
what you give your life to, even in suffering, you realize it will be successful in the end instead of giving your life successfully to something that will suffer loss in the end. Paul said, I'm not willing to do that. I'm getting into God's program. I'm going to be a good soldier, a pro athlete in the game. I'm going to be a hardworking farmer and I'm going to wait on the produce. I'm going to wait because I know he's faithful. His word cannot be thwarted. He cannot be stopped. I get to be a part of taking the light to the chosen of God so that they may obtain what he has already attained. And so that they get eternity in glory. Paul said, I can give my life to that. And at this point, he just breaks into song. Look at your Bible. You got it right there, an indented text. It's uh, thought to be an ancient hymn of the faith. It's thought to be an ancient hymn of King David's return of old. Now, that would make sense because Paul's already mentioned that Jesus is in the lineage of David, just like he was promised to be, right? And so now he comes down here and he quotes this, this song, this ancient hymn that was sung one day about King David and his return, and he applies it to now Jesus and this eternal plan that God is about and his involvement in it, and he just bursts into song and he says, watch this, it's a trustworthy statement. It's true. It's true, church. What's true? If we've died with him, we will also live with him. Comfort, Timothy, you give your life away for this gospel, for this Jesus. Guess what? He'll give it right back to you. Come follow me. Take up your cross. I'll give you your life back. But right now, sacrifice it to me. Be living sacrifices, wholly devoted. For if we've died, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also Reign with him. What's the comfort? That if we endure, if we endure, we will reign. What a blessing. I don't know if you realize this, but, but the Bible says that we will have a part in reigning with God. If we, if we remain faithful here, God will put us over in authority alongside Jesus uh, certain regions, territories. I don't fully get it. I don't really know exactly how it's going to work, you know. But some of you are going to have like New York and Chicago and maybe the whole Northeast. And others of you, you're going to get like uh, out west somewhere and there's not going to be a whole lot of stuff, just a bunch of empty plains and whatnot. And some of you are going to get like uh, Jefferson, Winder, Brazelton, and, and, and Vic, he's going to get like Arcade or something like that. Uh, I hadn't picked on Vic in a while. Um, but, but that's the truth. In the new heavens and the new earth, we get, to, we get elevated. What's the comfort? If you endure, even if you're pressed down here, Timothy, guess what? I'm going to lift you up. You'll reign. And that get? You'll reign. If we endure, we will also reign with him. And he gives you a little caveat here. He throws in this warning. If we deny him, if we deny him, he will deny us. He will deny us. If we're phonies, God who sees clearly to the depths of man's heart will know. If we are just playing the Sunday game, he'll know. If we're talking a good game, but when the pressure's on, we're, we're going to be the kind of guy that cuts and runs, he'll know. 
The phonies don't make it through. The pretenders, the the uh, the actors, they don't they don't make it through. God sees through that. Verse thirteen, He gives a word to the Christian who sometimes trips. That could be all of us. Look what He says: If we are faithful, though, I mean, if we are faithless, excuse me, if we are faithless, meaning if we if we who are in the faith we we sometimes express a lack of faith. We sometimes trip, fall, stumble. Our faith is perhaps weak. If, if we are faithless, take comfort in this. Watch how he ends. He, who's he? God, Christ, the Father. He remains faithful. Don't worry, Timothy, if you fall down. Don't worry, Timothy, if you, if you get weak sometime. Don't worry if, it, if you just don't seem to be in a season where you're very encouraged. Don't, don't worry in those times that you, you express a lack of faith because guess what? He is faithful. He is faithful. And then he gives a great promise here. For he cannot deny himself. Who's he? Once again, it's God. God cannot deny himself. What does that mean? That in the eternal spectrum of this whole game plan of God, your salvation, your being in the faith, your being in Christ is not dependent on you. And that is great news. Let me tell you why. Because if it were dependent on you in gaining it, it would also therefore follow that it would be dependent on you to keep it. But what Paul understood is that he didn't gain it. And so it's not up to him to keep it. And so even in the moments where we seem to be showing a lack of faith, where we seem to be stumbling, falling, where we're faithless, guess what? God remains faithful and he cannot deny himself. Take great comfort, Timothy, even if you fall flat on your face, trying to suffer and be a good soldier. Take great comfort because he cannot deny himself. Meaning that your salvation, your being in the faith, your being sealed and secured has nothing to do with you. You did not impress God. God was gracious to you. God was gracious to you and in his eternal plan saw you as beloved and chosen and he sought you out and he embraced you and he brought you in and he removed the veil from your eyes so that you could see through the darkness into the light. And he gave you the grace and the mercy that you needed to even embrace the truth. So guess what? He did that. And he, based on the character of Jesus being sinless and being based on the fact that God cannot lie, he will not deny himself. You are secure. You are in, in a state of embrace and comfort because God put you there. And so just rest right there, Timothy. Even if in all this struggle you fall flat on your face. Now that's comfort, church. Because the rest of the book we're going to see not just illustrations of the struggle. We're going to see the specific examples of what the struggle is going to hold for Timothy. And so he better remember Jesus. Alive and well. Foretold from old, he better remember that God can't be stopped. His plan will not be thwarted. We count it an honor to be a part of his plan. That he would use us to take light into the darkness. That if we hand him our life, 
if we put our life on the altar, in the end we, we gain life. That even if we're pressed down here, we'll be lifted up here. Paul says, I can give my life to that. And so can you, Timothy. You know what I'm going to do? Spiritually, I'm going to find ways to become a good soldier. I'm going to find ways to become spiritually a disciplined athlete. If I've got to cut some things out in life, I've got to cut them out. If there's some things that are distracting me from running the race that God has set before me, then we've got to cut them out. And I'm going to focus on becoming a good, active-duty soldier that's not entangled by this world. I'm going to focus on the race. And anything that gets in the way of the race, I'm going to cut it out. I'm going to discipline my body if I have to. I will be in charge. What God wants is more important than what my flesh calls out to me for. You know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to take his... I'm going to take his illustration of being a hardworking farmer. And if I have to blister my hands, and if I have to sunburn the back of my neck in, in the work of the kingdom, if I have to just sit and wait and wait and wait and wait, I'm going to trust that he's going to come through and that he's going to bear fruit. And if I have to wait longer and longer and longer, if I have to suffer more hardship, more hardship, more hardship, if spiritually the weight just gets heavier and heavier, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on. And hopefully some saints are going to come to the aid and, and lift up my arms. And hopefully you're going to have some saints who will come to your aid that you can lean on. And hopefully that's where we together as a church feed off of each other. Amen. That's what, that's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to give my life to. How about you? What, do you, what are you going to give your life to? Are you going to be successful in a whole lot of things that in the end just turn out to suffer you great loss? Or are you going to suffer loss now for the things that will one day prove successful? Let's pray. Father God, we... We want to be good soldiers. We want, we want to take the baton that uh, is being thrown towards us from the cross through men like Paul and Timothy and Onesiphorus and other faithful saints throughout the ages in our country and other countries. Father, we, we don't want to take it lightly that men and women have given their life. They have uh, invested blood into the soil for our cause. And yet none of us in this room, most likely in our lifetime, will ever give a drop of blood for our cause. Most likely we'll not, we'll not be on the front lines and suffer the greatest loss that men like Paul and those who followed him were so willing to give. Uh, that's just not likely for us. What's most likely for us is that we'll be embarrassed um, our boldness will have to just come in our um, in our friendships and in our relationships. And Lord, we we've got to we've got to ask for boldness in that our um, that our own view of ourself, our own pride, doesn't get in the way of of your cause. God, I ask that you would help us to uh, give it all, to give it all.
to abandon all. As you, our captain, calls us to the battle. Lord, if there's something we need to let go of, we let go of it. If there's something we need to cut out, we we cut it out. If there's somewhere we need to work harder, we'll work harder. Might we be an ambitious church? Ambitious for the kingdom, not for ourselves, but ambitious for the kingdom. Lord, raise up men and women in this church who are on fire for all the right reasons because they've seen the beauty of Jesus first and foremost. So Lord, we come back. We come back to that. Remembering Jesus and all that he's done from the cross to the grave now to the right hand of the Father. We remember Jesus. We ask that he would be our motive. That he would be our, our fuel to the flame. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.